Oh boy. I don't know about you, but it's been quite a week for me. I joked this morning at 8 o'clock that it is so right that today's topic of spiritual discipline is confession, because my confession to you is that I'm wearing waterproof eyeliner, and I will be for the next month or so. I'm really glad that my news of resignation comes on the heels of session approving an excellent candidate for our interim pastor. So I am very grateful for that. And I'm also grateful that today there's a congregational meeting to approve and accept Pastor Edwin as our associate pastor. There's such amazing things happening in our congregation, and I am ever so grateful. Instead of trying to come up with things to say in the pulpit without anything, I just thought I'd read you the letter that was sent out on Friday so that for those of you who have not read it yet can hear it from me, and for those of you who have read it, well, you can hear it from me. And it goes like this. Dear Kirk family, my first day at the Kirk was the last day of July in 2017. I wanted to make a good impression, so I wore a nice dress and high heels. Well, it happened to be either the first or second day of VBS, and I was expected to participate, little did I know. I don't remember what song they were singing, singing but it involved jumping a lot. So I jumped a lot in my nice summer dress with the baggy VBS t-shirt over it, of course, and high heels. If you've never jumped in high heels, don't try now. And I loved every minute of it. At the end of the day, I remember sitting in my new office, thanking God for calling me to a place where I could serve with so much joy. And from that day on, I jumped right in and never looked back. As I prepare to leave the Kirk for my next call, I find myself extremely grateful for all the opportunities I've had at the Kirk to jump. Jump for joy, jump for growth, jump for change, and jump to meet each of you where you are as you have jumped to meet me where I am. Over the years, I found this congregation to jump not to conclusions, but rather to love and grace. And for that, for that, I am grateful. So I ask you now to jump to love with me as I have discerned my call to leave my present ministry at Kirk in the Hills and accept a call as the transitional senior pastor and head of staff at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Munster, Indiana. As many of you know, I have felt a pull toward transitional ministry, interim ministry, transitional ministry. They're interchangeable for some time now. This will give me yet another opportunity to jump into what God is in store for me and my family in my next season of life. I covet your prayers and blessings on my new journey and call, which I have gratefully received and accepted. I cannot begin to express the depth of love and gratitude I have for this congregation. How you have loved 
and help me to grow as a friend and servant of God, inspired me with your incredible faithfulness and love for God and for one another, and continue to become an outward-facing church that longs to envision a world where every heart experiences God's transforming love. I have learned and grown so much from each and every one of you through every pastoral call and visit, communion, baptism, memorial service, wedding, Bible study, small group, lunch in Heritage Hall, Kai's lecture series, children's sermon, my puppet Linda will miss you very much, <laughs> pilgrimage. I am ever so grateful that you welcomed me not only to jump in, but to walk by your side through all liturgical seasons of the church, as well as various seasons of your life. Thank you. My last Sunday will be May 1st. I hope you'll join me then to celebrate what God has done in the life of our congregation for the last five years. I am sure we will have many great stories and memories to share together. After that, I look forward to watching the next phase of the Kirk's ministry unfold with the new interim senior pastor and many exciting and faithful transformations that are upon this congregation. In closing, I'd like to leave with you a couple verses from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. This verse, by the way, I was trying to think of a verse to include in my letter, and I had about 50 of them, and I was going through all of them, and I'm like, no, this isn't the right one, this isn't the right one. Well, I had written this letter, um, and that, that morning, as I'm still searching for the right verse, Pastor Edwin, we're waiting for a meeting, and he goes, oh, my sister just sent me this, this passage, and I love it. And so read, he reads to us Matthew 7, chapter 24 to 25, and I thought, that's the verse. That's the verse. And so if you hear Pastor Edwin repeat this verse, it's because it came from him. I just want you to know. I, so, the, and it was just so serendipitous that he would say this verse, and I would just grab onto it and gravitate towards it. And I believe that this is the verse that the Spirit is speaking to us at this time. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. Kirk in the Hills, you've been built on the firm foundation of our rock, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May you always stand firm on the foundation of the truth of the gospel and love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for many generations to come. May it be so. Amen. Pray with me.
O Lord, our rock and our Savior, open our eyes that we may see you. Open our ears that we may hear you. Open our hearts that we may feel you. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you here. Amen. I did want to say one announcement, which is immediately after this service at 10 o'clock, there is in Upper Room a presentation by two wonderful artists who are participating in our Lenten art exhibition. So I encourage you to go there to Upper Room in person or Zoom in. It's a hybrid class. Had to get that in there. Terry Tempest Williams, author of When Women Were Birds, writes about how before her mother died, she left her journals to her daughter, Terry. However, her mother made her promise not to open them until after she was gone. She thought a week after her mother passed away, Terry thought, now is the right time to read my mother's journals. They were exactly where she said they would be. Three shelves of beautifully bound cloth journals. She opened the first journal. It was empty. She opened the second journal. It was empty. She opened the third journal. It was empty. As was the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Shelf after shelf after shelf, all of her mother's journals were blank. Three shelves full of blank journals, probably a lifetime worth of journals. Why would anyone keep blank journals? Perhaps her mother had many confessions she wanted to make that she could not tell anyone, even to herself. Today's spiritual discipline is confession. As you have noticed, we have a prayer of confession every Sunday. Some of you might say, I don't know why we have to confess our sins every Sunday. Didn't Jesus wash away all our sins on the cross? I'm not sure if I have anything to confess. We make confession part of our corporate worship because we believe that our sins are not only private and personal, but also public and corporal. We confess our sins of commission as well as sins of omission as a church. Sins we have willfully committed and sins that arise from things we should have done but did not do, such as seeking for justice, treating people with kindness, and showing Christ's love wherever we go. What I love about confession is that it makes us honest. Honest to ourselves, to one another, and to God. In today's passage, it reads, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Richard Foster says the discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is calling into being a church 
that can openly confess its frail humanity and know the forgiving and empowering graces of Christ. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. And might I add, confession also leads to freedom, healing, and reconciliation. Freedom, healing, and reconciliation. When it comes to our personal sins, John 20, 23 says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's quite an authority we have. Not only do we confess to God, we confess to one another. After all, the scripture teaches us that all believers are priests before God. And at the time of Reformation, this was called the universal priesthood of all believers. And when we are honest, not only to God, but to one another, it leads to freedom and healing. Richard Foster tells the story of how over several days, he wrote down everything God revealed to him that needed God's healing touch from his childhood until now. Then he went to a dear friend who had agreed to hear his confession. Slowly and painfully, Foster read his list of sins. When he finished, he began to put the paper back in his briefcase. Wisely, his friend gently stopped his hand and took the sheet of paper. And without a word, he took a waste basket. And as Foster watched, he tore the paper into hundreds of tiny pieces and dropped them into the wastebasket. That was a powerful expression of forgiveness. And at that moment, Foster knew that his sins were as far from him as the east is from the west. Next, his friend, with the laying on of his hands, prayed a prayer of healing for all the sorrows and hurts of the past. Foster writes that the power of that prayer lives with him today, and he experienced freedom through the act of confession and absolution. Following that event, he was released to explore new and uncharted regions of the spirit and move into several of the disciplines described in his book. And interestingly, the exposure of Foster's humanity evidently sparked a freedom in his friend because directly following his prayer, the friend was able to express a deep and troubling sin that he had been unable to confess until then. Foster concludes, freedom begets freedom. There's freedom and healing when we confess our sins to one another. As I come to a close, I want to go back to the blank journals in the beginning. As much as we want to confess all our sins, there are simply sins that we cannot even name or know, sins that go beyond our emotional and psychological space. That's where the image of the live goat in Leviticus chapter 16 comes in handy. It's the passage that's read on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, in the Jewish religion and tradition. And it reads like this. When he has finished atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. 
Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. Your sins and mine, the sins of this church, are all placed on that live goat that disappears into the wilderness. It is through that goat that you and I are reconciled to God. And that goat is Jesus. And the wilderness is the cross upon which he died. All your sins and iniquities and transgressions have been placed on that cross. Go in peace. Be reconciled to God. You're free. You're healed through the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're reconciled, free, and healed. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen.